<laughs> I thought I would cry less the second service. Oh, man. Well, happy Sunday, Resurrection Day. Do you know what it's like to have been blind and now see? Oh, what is it like to have your eyes opened to new possibilities? What is it like to have God touch your life, walk into your life, and have the scales fall away? Amazing grace, amazing, amazing grace. Oh, I remember the first time I got glasses. Didn't realize how bad I need them. All of a sudden, the, the trees, actually, I saw there were little things on them called leaves instead of clumps <laughs> that were up there. And I remember the first time I went to the grocery store and I stood at the end of the aisle, I could actually see the brand names and the products at the other end of the aisle. And that was like too much information. I only want to see this much. You know, that's what I was used to. But uh, the, the new lenses and new visions took some blinders where I could see a little bit farther, a little bit farther. And today we're going to talk about how we sometimes have some of those blinders on and how Jesus asks us to release those to release those blinders, whatever they are, fear, scarcity, whatever the things are that hold us back from knowing God's love, that we release them and that we be free from them in our lives. I tell you, I don't know how many of you learned to type on manual typewriters. Any of y'all manual typewriters? Okay. Before they had the electricity plugged up to them, you used to have to pluck really, really hard on them to make them happen like that. You know, and they taught you real carefully how to do that. And then when you ended a sentence to make sure that you knew it was the end of a sentence, you did a period, and then you did a space, space. Y'all remember that? Period, space, space. Oh, my goodness. Dominique laughed in the first service. What are you talking about? And I said, oh, my, you're still young. Oh, my, still young. I can show you an antique. But here... Here in this church, you know, we are in the digital age now, and we have electronic materials, and we're hooked up. And so whenever I send my text to Mark Eggleston to review and to get printed and all that sort of stuff, he has to word search my material and take out every space space, <laughs> you know, so that it can be in a single space format, because now our characters are different, and it makes it look different. I, I argue with him. I say, you know, I think it still looks better space space. And he laughs, shakes his head. No, it doesn't look better. No, it doesn't look better. But, you know, we learn these things. Some people even know what an Oxford comma is. How many people know what an Oxford comma is? Some of you folks out there? Yeah, a few people. A few people. And they're excited about it, too. It doesn't do anything for me. Doesn't do, you know, preachers, oh, preachers, we uh, often write the way we talk instead of the way it's meant to be on the written page. So, so it might not have those Oxford commas in the right place as we do that. But punctuation matters, what you mean and how you, how you take pauses and breaths and how you put it down on a page so people will know what you are talking about. And so in the gospel story we have this morning, it's important to realize that when scripture was put together in the Greek form, when they had the Greek form, there were no commas, Oxford or otherwise. There were no periods, space, space, at all, to let you to know to stop there. There weren't even verse numbers or chapter numbers for you to think this is where something starts and this is where something stops. It just wasn't there in the Greek manuscript. So when we look at our Bible, it looks all hard and fast and real, and this is exactly where you're supposed to stop and breathe. That's not what it looks like to them. The Greek was a little bit better than the Hebrew because the Hebrew didn't even have vowels in it. No commas, no periods, no vowels. Imagine what you can make up when you read something like that. You know? 
And so here we have it in Greek with no periods or commas, but we do have the vowels in it. And so I'm going to look at two of the verses at the beginning of this story as we think about it. And they're from uh, the Gospel of John, this chapter 9, verses 3 and 4. So this is the way we read it this morning. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, semicolon. He was born blind so that, so that God's work might be revealed in him. Okay, one sentence. Breathe. Okay, kind of sounds interesting the way they phrase it that way. And I want to show you a different way, but so that they might be revealed in him. Someone was born so that later something might happen. It's an interesting way to think about this verse. But then it goes, we must work to make sure that we get done what's needed for God's work to be made manifest. Now, since we know there were no commas and no periods, what if this verse was punctuated this way? Look at it like this and see what happens. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, period, space, space. <laughs> Jesus is trying to say something here. They've asked, who sinned? And Jesus is saying, no one sinned, period, space, space. Right? Okay, now the next phrase. He was born blind, period, space, space. Okay? He was born blind. No one sinned to make him blind. It just is, period, space, space makes a little bit of difference in how you read this sentence. Because now the next verse looks like this. So that God's work might be revealed in him, we got to work. The responsibility is shifted. First way, you know, it's up to God to do this thing now so that God's will be manifest. We've got to work. I don't know about you, but that puts something on my shoulders that I need to do. Punctuation makes a difference. But so there's this argument going on, and Jesus is trying to dissolve it. He's saying, no, sin is a part of the way this man was born at all. He was born this way. It is, period, space, space. Don't try and place judgment on him or his parents. Just stop it. You know? I don't know if you've had that happen in your life. Have you ever had someone said, well, why are you gay? Was it by your nature or nurture? Never heard that? Nature or nurture? What caused you to be this way? Jesus says, you know, you're just born this way. Period. Space. Space. You're just born this way. Nothing, nothing in it was in error. Nothing in it was outside of God's desire to create a beautiful universe. You are born this way. Period, space, space. Not nature, not nurture, just is. You know, and Jesus was here today, you'd say, and I love it. You know, you're beautiful and fabulous. Get to work. God's got something to do through you. Get to work. God's got something to do through you. But we have that not just in our circumstance, but other places where people ask these questions. Why is that man on, outside, homeless, on the road? You know, was he born crazy? Did his parents do drugs in the ugly sentence? Is he just lazy? Just an ugly sentence. You know? Jesus says he just is. Now, you might have some work to do. 
to change the situation and the circumstances that put him on the street in the first place. You know, lesbian couple recently murdered. You know, some people say, well, didn't their parents teach them how to be gender conforming? You know, or were they holding hands in public? Some sort of rubbish like that. Instead of saying, this is horrible. We have some work to do to make sure it doesn't happen again. So Jesus is switching this cause and effect, this judgment, this blame that people are putting on the people who are hurt, the people who are different, the people who are marginalized. Jesus is saying, no judgment or blame is upon these folk. But we have some work to do to make sure we stop judging and blaming in the way that we're doing it these days. Are you ready to do some work? Some work with Jesus on this? Oh my goodness. You know, it can be some tough work too. We might like someone else to do it for us. You know, but then what happens in the story, we want Jesus to do it for us and he just leaves. He's not in the story anymore. He leaves. And so who's left? Everyone else. You know, and this healing doesn't fit their view of the world. It's just too good to be true. It really couldn't have happened this way. This man couldn't have been healed. You know, there's that. We know this man. This man's been sitting on this corner for a long time. And we know, we know how to judge. That means he's a sinner. You know, so we know how to do so. They can't be real. And so they start to test it out. The neighbors ask the man, and the man pushes back. I was just sitting here, and he put some mud on my eyes. He told me to go wash. I did, and, I've, and I now can see. And you know what? I've never even laid eyes on this man. I don't even know what he looks like. So I can't tell you anything more because you know what? I used to be blind, but now I see. You know? So that's first his, first they go to him. And then they don't like that answer, so they have to check it out. So they, the neighbors take him to the Pharisees, the interrogators, and then they go and they ask the man again. Same thing, and he repeats the story same way. And then they think that's not enough. They go to his parents. Are you sure he was born blind? Are you positive he was born blind? You know, let's check it out. Maybe he really wasn't born blind all these years into adulthood and he was just faking it. You know, it's too good to be true. Can't let it be. You know, and so the parents are scared because the Pharisees are the ones in charge of the power. They get to say who is healed and who is not healed and when they can come back in the family, when they can go to the temple. You know, the Pharisees are a little scared too. What does it mean if someone else can do this healing? Maybe we don't have as much power as we thought we had. And you know, we don't want to share any of that power with other people. So back and forth, this argument goes between them. Who's to blame? And Jesus has already said there's no one to blame. It just is. But he's not around. So they have this argument back and forth. And finally, they ask the blind man enough times. And you know this blind man, he has to have known a lot. Because when you see people on a corner and they're blind, sometimes they're just invisible to you. They don't have to be blind, they just have to be needy. And sometimes they're just invisible, we don't see them. So I imagine this man sitting on that corner for all those years learned a lot about the people who talked on that corner all those years. And had quite a bit of knowledge about them, more than they had about him. And I wonder if with his new eyes he's looking at them and said, oh, that's you. You're not very nice. 
And I've got decades of knowing that you're not nice, but now I can put a face to it. That's who's doing this. That's what this is about. So this blind man who now has new perspective, he can see. He can put faces to the behaviors he's been listening to his whole life. He says to them, why do you keep asking? Do you want to be his disciple too? And of course, they're insulted. They pull out their pedigree. That's what people with power do. We're disciples of Moses, not disciples of this man. This man's a sinner because he healed on the Sabbath. You know, that's real important stuff, right? Healed on the Sabbath. So back and forth with this argument. They don't agree with each other. And they're, even the Pharisees are fighting amongst themselves. Who is this Jesus? And the blind man first doesn't even know Jesus' name. Then says it was a man called Jesus. And now they ask him again and he says it's a prophet. So it's becoming clear to him that something remarkable has happened to him. The one thing I don't get in this story. I don't get why no one jumped up and down and shouted yippee you know why weren't they thankful look what's happened yay this is exciting someone has had this wonderful abundant miracle in life isn't this glorious you know where is that in the story it's not there why couldn't they be happy that someone was healed yeah, I, I think Brene, Brene Brown's work is in some of this when she talks about, you know, I used to just sort of downplay my joy because I thought if I got too joyful, too happy, it would get taken away. You know, is it going to last? Maybe this healing might be a little bit real, but not forever real. You know, should I really, really celebrate that I'm in remission? You know, should I really do that? Because it might come back. You know, she calls it foreboding joy. It's foreboding joy. Can I really be that happy about something in the world? Is God's love really that good? Is God's grace really that wide? Does God really want me to be a disciple that much? Can I be that joyful and that exciting? And Renee talks about how all that does is keep you from being happy in your life. It doesn't do anything about preventing the things from happening. But we work that way some these days. I don't know if you've ever had someone get real excited about some new thing in their life, and then you were right there in the room when someone else did something to bring them down. Have you seen it? Have you done it yourself? Oh, it's really nice that you got that raise and promotion. You know? But there's no oomph behind it? Yeah. How can we help celebrate others? We think there's a scarcity. If someone else is getting that joy and that love, that means we're not going to get it. What's that about? If someone else gets a promotion, that means we're not going to have a promotion. If someone else falls in love, that means we're not going to fall in love. What is that about? That scarcity mentality that keeps us from celebrating each and every time something joyful and abundant happens in anyone's life. Anyone's life. So Brene Brown calls that that foreboding joy and that fear of scarcity is what brings it on. That something's going to take it away. And that God's not going to be trustworthy enough to continue resourcing us in our life in the ways that we want. There's a researcher named George Lakoff who wrote a book, Don't Think of an Elephant, that was pretty popular a while back. And so did y'all think of that when I said that? You know, maybe not a purple elephant, but an elephant. But in the book, what he's discovered when he, and he shares this with lots of communications people, he says, we have a worldview. We have ways we believe about things. And if facts, facts, hard facts, don't match our worldview, 
they bounce off our frame, is what he calls it. They bounce off. Facts don't make a difference. Do you hear that? Facts don't make a difference. Here's a group of Pharisees that are interrogating a man that used to be blind on the corner. They've seen him, and now the man can see, and it's a fact. But it bounces off the frame. Because their frame about what sin is, and how to blame and judge, and how to share power, because it's scarce, this doesn't fit. So it bounces off. I don't know if you've been anyone like that. One time I was in a counseling session with a man who was in Watchman Knee home groups, a real small conservative sect. And, and I, I was at a point in time when I said, you know, you were made good. And he turned around and he said, Satan? He said, no, you were made good. And I'm not Satan. You were made good. And Satan? They kept bouncing off. And I read scripture verse after scripture verse to him of how he was formed in his mother's womb, how God knew the hairs numbered on his head, how all of these things in life were done because he was God's beautiful creation. Satan kept bouncing off. If our frame is strong, you wonder why we tell you God loves you so much and so often and so many times because it just bounces off the frame it's too hard to believe that joy that love that grace can be that big even for me but jesus says god's love is for you period space space take it in you are my beloved period space space breathe it in let it sink through the frame. Let it go to where it needs to be in your heart so that you embrace it fully. That it's a part of who you are. Let go of that foreboding stuff. I want you to have an abundant life right now. I want you to be healed right now. I want you to have a true sight that sees you the way I see you. There's a popular movie a while back called Goodwill Hunting. And in that movie, there's a young man that has a great gift but circumstances of life keep him from using it because he has a frame. He knows who he is. He knows what he's capable of and not capable of. And he knows who he is because other people have told him who he is. So he's forced to go in therapy with Robin Williams as the therapist. He's forced to go in therapy. And in that therapy, because of he'll go to jail if he doesn't go. You know, no people in those situations. And so he goes to therapy, but resistant the whole time. They get to a point after they've been together for months and there's some trust that's been developed and the therapist put the case folder before him. And the case folder has the pictures in it of all the foster homes he's been in and all the bruises and the times he was in the hospitals and the burns and cigarette marks on his skin and all of these things that have happened to him that he believes he deserved or that he was responsible for because otherwise why would it have been so? So the therapist looks to him and says, all this stuff, it's not your fault. The kid doesn't even look at him, looks down, looks away, and says, I know. Well, it's not your fault. The kid's still looking away. He says, look at me. It's not your fault. And the kid's just shaking it off. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. He says, don't mess with me. It's not your fault. Don't mess with me, not you. It's not your fault. Bouncing off the frame, bouncing off the frame. It's not your fault. Then in a moment, the kid breaks down and starts crying. It's not your fault. Oh God, oh God, I'm so sorry. It's not your fault. Neither you sinned to make this happen. You never deserved it. It was never your fault. 
It was never what God would have for you. We still in our lives have frames we work under. We have these rules that we try and follow. They're not God's rules. God says you are loved, period, space, space. And it's not your fault, period, space, space. Don't let people blame and shame and judge you, period, space, space. You are mine and I love you. The ending of the story, the people cast him out. And we know people who've been cast out. Cast out because they become sober. Cast out because they come out of the closet. Cast out because their true vision now changes them so much from the world they were a part of that the people reject them and say, you can't be a part of this anymore. You have to be gone. So Jesus, ever Jesus, finds the one who's cast out. And the blind one used to be says, are you the one? And says, yes, I am the one. And the blind one says, with true sight, I believe. From physical healing to spiritual healing, we are those people. Oh God, help us come through the frames. Help us come through the places in life that would keep us from being who you want us to be. Help us release any images that makes us not whole. Help us have true vision, for you are the one who loves us. We are your beloved, period, space, space.